0: Welcome to Q-Art Foundation's Critical Distance podcast series produced as part of Meeting Artists' Needs, a professional development program for artists of all ages and backgrounds. Q-Art Foundation's Meeting Artists' Needs program is generously supported by the Joan Mitchell Foundation. You're listening to The Artist's Studio Affordability Project. Can artists afford to stay in New York City? Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Castle, the Public Programming Fellow at the Q-Art Foundation. This is the fifth event in the series, If It's Not Work, It Must Be Play, Discussions on the State of Work in the Arts. In this series, we have hosted experts, including labor economists, urban planners, activists, and financial consultants to analyze and respond to issues facing artists in their professional practice. Tonight's talk recalls themes from our previous events. Deborah Figart, a feminist labor economist, spoke about the myth of the fine artist, working in isolation and frenzy. Whereas in reality, work in the arts requires a great deal of network building and calculated collaboration. Lise Siskolny, core organizer for WAGE, spoke about poor compensation for creative labor, which among other things, limits creative professionals and businesses in their ability to secure and pay for workspace. Ben Graney, president of the Artists Financial Support Group, corrected the idea that artists are bad with numbers and urged us to be strong advocates for our own financial health. Tom Engadi, professor of Urban Affairs and Planning at Hunter College, shared the possibility that certain New York neighborhoods have already been lost due to development schemes and their consequences and he urged us to understand who our allies are in resisting similar outcomes in our own neighborhoods. Tonight, those ideas will be relevant as we return to the theme of artists in real estate. Artists are infamously linked to the process of neighborhood upheaval. Forced to search out inexpensive rent, artists seem to be one of the early components of an impending transition a transition which ultimately results in the displacement or disadvantage of existing residents. A frequently used term for such displacement is gentrification. The term gentrification reflects the arrogance that can accompany opportunistic interest in a neighborhood, driven by geographic factors and numbers-based motivations. The sentiment is carried forward through language about the place that nullifies existing residents, such as there's nothing there or it's a blank slate. It's a kind of self-interest that refuses to observe actual conditions and that only acknowledges the importance of particular signs and symbols of activity. It goes without saying, the human networks that exist in a neighborhood before it has received extensive and financially motivated development are likely to be stronger and more complex than those where commercialization has progressed into a density of franchise operations. When small businesses are pushed out of an area, those networks are dispersed and lost. Others may form, but the cycle of displacement continues and the gentrifiers are themselves gentrified as long as this movement is supported by the market until, at last, The most unshakable commercial occupants of the neighborhood are those which operate from remote centers and have little human investment in the place. This may sound extreme, but this is what's happening, and it's happening at a fast pace. How do we, as residents, as practicing creative professionals, hang on to our place in our neighborhood, in our borough? Can artists afford to stay in New York? Our guests tonight are the Artist Studio Affordability Project, activists who are working steadfastly to stabilize studio and workspace access for artists in New York City. They will share their perspective on the problem, their advocacy work, help us identify our allies in this fight, and inform us about recent legislative efforts to impede the cycle of upheaval. We'll have a roundtable conversation and approximately one hour from now, we will invite questions from the audience. Please join me in welcoming the Artist Studio Affordability Project. We're so glad to welcome you this evening. Thanks for being here. Um, Can you introduce yourselves and each tell us a little bit about who you are and your work as an artist?
1: My name is Jenny Dubnow and I grew up in New York, um, in Washington Heights. And uh, I make figurative paintings and have for many, many years. Um, And I've been priced out of many, many studios as many, many, many of you also have, I'm sure. Um, I had a studio in Greenpoint. Well, I had studios before that too, but most recently I was priced out of Greenpoint where I'd been for quite a few years and I'm in Long Island City now. and feel as someone who grew up in the city and who really has to have a studio, like it's not an option to not have a studio. Um, very terrified by what's happening in the city. And also as a native New Yorker, I'm, I hate it. You know what I'm saying? It's an emotional thing. It's, it's my survival as an artist, but it, you know, it's the kind of thing where you start walking around a little bit angry all the time, and that's not healthy. So um, that's what got me motivated. I just felt like I have to try as a New Yorker and an artist to do something to help myself and also the city. And do those things have to be opposed? And that's what kind of brought quite a few of us into ASAP, into forming ASAP.
2: Hello, my name is Tamara Zahekevich, and I am a um, sculptor slash painter. And um, I have had more than 10 studios in the time that I've lived here. I moved here in 1996, and I've also moved my home as a result of rising rents due to commercial rents going up or, or just residential rents, neighborhoods becoming hip. And I have moved my home about 10 times as well. So that's about 20 moves in uh, less than 20 years. So um, yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like you've already started to answer my next question, which is, what is ASAP, and how did your involvement begin?
1: Well, I think that actually all these issues that we're talking about, which many, many of us feel, not just artists, but a lot of New Yorkers, I think are really feeling it right now. But I think the catalyst was, many of you probably know about the industry city situation, which is a large, if you don't know, it's a large complex of industrial buildings over in Sunset Park, And the rents have many, many artists ended up there who couldn't afford Greenpoint, couldn't afford Soho, how long ago was that, Um, couldn't afford Williamsburg, they ended up there. And it was affordable for a while, but in recent years the rents started really skyrocketing as gentrification is starting to creep in there too. And it was about a year and a half ago, or a year ago, that the rents went up tremendously, and many, many art friends of mine lost their spaces because they couldn't afford the rents. And I think that was what pushed some of us over the edge. We were like, this is insane. And that was the actual catalyst that got us to form ASAP. And we formed it over Facebook, pretty much.
2: Yeah, and I was seeing people um, on Facebook every day saying, I lost my studio, Help, help, I need a new studio. And a lot of these people had been in new york for many many years so this is wasn't just newcomers and these people in some cases were you know 50 years old or or 55 60 and they thought they were secure they thought that they had some stability because they, they were veterans here and they were in the same situation which was you know probably even worse going from where they were and having to find a completely new neighborhood to settle in and and um you know be part of a new community and leave what they knew, what they were comfortable in.
0: I think an important point, too, in in finding that new neighborhood and and being forced to move um, is the expense involved. This is a serious um, issue, both personally and um, for a small business to relocate itself. Um, the, The mission statement of ASAP points to the fact that as gentrification spreads, we are priced out of neighborhood after neighborhood, and as your personal stories also alluded to, and that most working artists cannot afford the city's exponentially increasing studio rents. um, Hasn't the cycle of displacement or people being pushed out and priced out of neighborhood after neighborhood been part of New York's history for hundreds of years? Um, That is
2: something that comes up all the time when I tell people, what, about what's going on, and they say, Oh, this has been going on forever. And it has been going on, but we're at a critical point. There's nowhere to go. Uh, you don't, you know, once in a while someone will say, Oh, well, we can move to East Flatbush. And then something happened with us, which is what we realized that we are we're agents of, of this change, of this displacement that's happening, and I don't think any of us want to be complicit in that. So we have to change the way we are. If we go to Newburgh, you know, I don't know how long it'll take, or Detroit, it's going to be the same thing. So let's make it work where we are right now. Um, I, I I just um, I just want, I wanted to um, sorry <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is that there are also many people who lose their homes because we start the cycle and then speculators and developers follow us and then these people who are invisible to a lot of us are completely displaced and I just don't think any of us want to keep doing that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with all that. I think another thing that I don't really know if this has ever happened before, but you guys probably noticed this too, it seems like a almost a global phenomenon, at least in the, quote, first developed or first world, that all the major cities are starting to become unaffordable except for the 1%. Like, I've read a lot of articles about London. You know, the same darn thing is happening in all these major cities. And, and you know, San Francisco. I mean, it's happening over and over. Seattle, you know, it's like... Paris. I mean, like, poor people are pushed out to the margins. So it's like, I don't really know, I'm not a historian, but I don't really remember reading about that becoming the phenomenon that it seems to be right now. There's, in cities, there's always been really rich neighborhoods, middle-class neighborhoods, and really poor neighborhoods. And right now, it seems like they're, they're, they're going to start gentrifying East New York. Like, where are the poor people supposed to go, and where are the artists supposed to go? I mean, I I really wonder, a friend of mine, Neil DeMoss, who's an amazing journalist who writes about city issues and class, wrote an article basically asking the question, because Bushwick is being so gentrified and so many Puerto Rican people who've lived there for years and families can't be there, they can't stay there. Where are they all going? No one knows, but just, no one's done a study, he said. But in his talking to people, he found, anecdotally, a lot of them are going to Queens, to Ridgewood, not to Long Island City or Sunnyside, to Ridgewood and to Flushing and to Corona. But there's gentrification planned for those neighborhoods too. Like I've been involved with some, I live in Queens and there's a group, Queens Neighborhoods United, who they're starting to fight against huge towers they're going to put in Flushing. It's almost like we're at a point that I don't know if we've ever been at this point before where... Soon, I just don't know where people are gonna go. I mean, I worry that there's gonna be a tremendous spike in homelessness because if there's no more neighborhoods for anyone to go to, you know, we're not leaving <laughs> the city. Some of us probably will, but I, I agree with what Tamata said. I think that we need to really make a stand now mm-hmm. and save our city because it's our home.
0: So. I think it's an interesting point, too, to note that if if you, if we are pushed out of the city, the kinds of services that many people have um, have relied on that exist in the city are not available outside of the city. That network for survival does not exist outside of the city, um, including public transportation, but far beyond that, the social services and so forth. So it really is a humanitarian issue when you're talking about divorcing people from their social networks, their homes, and so forth, but then also the services that have been put in place over 100 years mm-hmm. to serve them, and us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, your mission states that ASAP is an effort to bring this, this issue, this important issue, to the attention of the public and local politicians. You say we focus on raising awareness about the crisis of affordable studio space and on advocating legislation that will protect and expand affordable artist studios. What are some of the legislative initiatives that you are supporting or working on? Um,
1: Well, uh, the main thing that we've been working on is a bill that's in in, uh, committee in the city council right now called the Small Business Job Survival Act, which is really a horrible mouthful. But um, that bill's been kicking around in some form since the 1980s, And it was first introduced by Ruth Messenger. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with her. Um, And basically the real estate uh, industry kicked it back every single time. And they may do so again now. They're very strong and they're very against it. Um, What the bill, it's been through kind of a lot of iterations. When it first started in the 80s, it was actually a true commercial rent control bill, which would have set a cap on how much any commercial lease could be raised per year like residential rent control there's a rent guidelines board every i think two years they meet and depending on how the economy is they decide okay all residential apartments get raised only two percent that's all you're allowed or five percent or whatever it is that was killed very quickly in the 80s by koch Um, then it was reintroduced in 09 and 2010 um, and what that is close to its current iteration and it was killed by christine quinn in committee. She didn't let it onto the floor. Um, what the bill basically says is it's not commercial rent control, sadly. I think that's what we really need. But what it doesn't set a cap on how much a commercial lease can be raised each year. It, first of all, only applies to commercial leases, and it applies to all commercial leases. So it's it could be a storefront. It could be an office. It could be a doctor's office. It could be an artist studio. It could be an, a, a, a junkyard whatever commercial lease, um, whatever kind of space it is, it applies to all five boroughs. A, it would give you the basic right to renew. We don't have that now. So if your lease is up and you say, hi, I want to renew, your landlord could say, nah, and you would have no leg to stand on. So the bill gives you the right to renew unless you're a drug dealer or you burn down the place, unless they have a reason to kick you out. B, it would give you the right to ask for, if you wanted it, a 10-year lease extension which for artists is huge and for all small businesses is huge because 10 years goes by like that. Imagine rebuilding your racks, moving all your paintings, moving all your saws, all your equipment, all your, you know, that's expensive and a nightmare, basically. And if you're a restaurant, moving all your equipment, some people put their life savings into their spaces, so that's a huge thing. Um, Right now, a lot of landlords, especially in gentrifying neighborhoods, only give you like a one-year lease extension Mine would only give me three. That was the most I could get from him because he knows he can jack the rent up once the lease comes up for renewal again. The the third big thing that it does is if you feel, if you're renewing your lease and you feel the increase is too high, you could go to mediation with your landlord and he has to go with you. And if you can't reach an agreement, you go to binding arbitration, which is binding on both parties. That does cost a couple hundred dollars. I'm actually not exactly sure how much it costs. I don't... About a grand. I've heard varying things, but it would be split between the two of you. This is not perfection here, but we've got to do something. And what everyone, including the real estate board of New York, seems to feel, which is why they're opposing this, is that it would cause a downward pressure on rents. Um, At at worst, you'd probably end up with something a little less bad than what the landlord wanted. Um, And I think that overall in the whole city, a lot of people think that it could start to bring things down a little bit. Um, so that's the Small Business Job Survival Act.
0: I think that um, you've already answered my next question as well. What, what does this have to do with artists? So you're saying that actually this would control all commercial rents, and that would extend to artist studios as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in that in that sense
1: one thing that we've thought about a lot in, in ASAP is that artists are very different from every other business. But on the other hand, when it comes to rent, we're exactly the same. Exactly the same. Our leases are commercial leases. So that's why we have been in coalition with small business. You know. With a bodega owner, with a little neighborhood restaurant, with um, in an industrial zone, with um, a machine shop. There's a lot of like stone yards near where I am. We really have the same kind of leases, exactly the same, and the same. We face the same kinds of problems. Um, so I think that that's what it has to do with artists.
0: Mm-hmm. So the real estate board is opposed to this because they feel that there would be a downward pressure on rents. You said. Um, has there been any kind of commercial rent regulation in the past in New York City?
1: We kind of divvied up stuff between Tamara and I, so this is, this is my area, and soon she'll be talking more. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, from 19, This is something I learned via Google. From 1945 to 1963, New York City had actual commercial rent control, where it was a post-war thing where landlords were not allowed to raise the rent of any commercial space more than like a certain, a few percentage points. Built into, and it worked fine, fine. Nobody died. Capitalism did not collapse. The free market didn't end. Built into the bill was that they were guaranteed to have a certain minimum rate of return. And if they didn't get make that rate of return, that made of rate of profit, um, it probably wasn't an eight trillion percent rate of profit, like it is now, but if they didn't make that, then there could be an exception. And what the person who wrote this bill told me, and I don't know if it's true, but he said that there was never any landlord who, even with rent control, had to say, I didn't make enough profit. I mean, right now, commercial landlords make so much profit. I mean, did you guys read about Pearl River Mart? Remember Pearl River Mart? Gone. They were paying $100,000 a month. For three stories. Do you know how much their rent was raised to? 500,000 a month. There is no, it's, it's, it's a speculative environment right now. And that's an extreme example. But you know, for commercial spaces, for my building, what does my landlord do? This, you know, it's a decrepit building. They don't do much. They make so much money. And it's right now when people talk about the free market, and we've heard that a lot. This is anti-free market. Well, what about the vast majority of businesses, including artists, don't we count? Like, it's a very distorted market, and the people who are making out well are the landlords, not the vast majority of businesses trying to survive.
2: And also, small businesses employ so many people, and when they, when they have to close up, so many families suffer.
0: Yep. This sounds like a really, uh, really limited sort of um, regulation. For commercial rents in comparison to actually having a rent control, commercial rent control situation, what what is it sounds great. What's the problem here? With commercial rent control. What's the or problem with well. the uh, <laughs> this new act? Since it is it certainly a scaled down version yeah. of of any right. kind of.
1: I mean, to me that when I first read about this, I was like, well, that's good, but we need so much more. But I'm realizing that even this, the pushback, you just wouldn't believe it, because. We've been doing a lot of lobbying of, of council members and talking to a lot of people. And the fear of the real estate board, which is the, uh, the real estate board of New York, otherwise known as REBNY, um, they, they hate this bill so much. And if this bill starts to pick up speed, which it may or may not, you're going to see them come out with huge talk, million dollar ad campaign talking points because they're terrified about this. Which to me means, well, maybe it is better than I thought. <laughs> um, because if they're scared, that means they agree with us that it will probably bring commercial rents down. Um, we've met with a lot of council members. I would say one of them in particular, and I'll name him, uh, Van Bramer, Jimmy Van Bramer. Uh, he thinks this is anti-free market. He's, he's supposedly the big arts city council member. We'll come back to that later. Um, what we've heard more than that is that, oh, this, can't, this isn't legal. It's, there are legal problems with it. That's the big thing. It's very vague what the legal problems are. In '09, this was vetted to death. There were hearings on the legality of it. We have, I have a transcript, which is boring to read, of which I forced myself to read, about the back and forth with all the city council lawyers and all the other lawyers about, is it legal, is it not? No one's ever been able to really come up with a real legal problem with it. They all say that, it, that this can't be legal, but there's no concrete reason that they really give. I think, what it, I think what it is is a Rebney talking point that they're repeating. The other thing I'll say is that during the whole time when we had actual rent control, which this is so much more mild then, um, it was ch- that, that was challenged in court many times. It always lost. Courts always said, with actual commercial rent control, that, no, it's legal. So if that's legal, if that was legal, I don't see what's illegal about forcing something to go to arbitration. Many, many contracts go to arbitration. So, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I I have a big suspicion about the whole illegal aspect, and I've never been able to get anything more than just a vague, it's illegal response, and if I do, I'll I'll let you guys know, you know.
0: So you mentioned that there's a question about its legality, Um, it might, be in opposition to the free market are there any other reasons that um, council members have come out against the bill
2: nothing in particular but many of the people who are not supporting the bill at the moment have supported the bill in the past such as Melissa Mark favorito who's the current speaker she supported this bill several years ago mayor de Blasio supported this bill when he was a council member and right now, they are absolutely silent on the issue. And the Progressive Caucus, who is allied w- with Melissa Mark Viverito, have also not uh, signed on to this bill. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why. So.
1: And, and there, there are a lot of, we have 19 council members supporting it right now. Um, we also have Letitia James supporting it, who is the, bur- the Borough president? No. Is she the borough president? No, she's borough president. No, she's a public advocate. I, I'm still learning these terms. Um, she's actually a tie-breaking vote in the city council. I'm pretty sure. Kind of like, is it the? the oh, I, I'm not going to go there with civics because I'm not going to do well with it. But um, she supports it, and we do have people. There are progressive members of the progressive caucus who individually do support it. So it's not like none of them do. But um, at 19, is a pretty nice number. The thing is, we need at least 26 for it to pass. And it would be great to have a more comfortable margin. Be, I think 36 is veto-proof. Although, would de Blasio veto this? I, I don't know. Our struggle now is to bring it to the floor, but there's no point in bringing it to the floor until we have enough votes to pass it on the floor.
0: So... Can we call out names as well as geographic areas? Yeah. We have um, Van Bramer you mentioned. Yeah, like some of that, help me here. Yeah, but, sure. but I think
1: um, some of the ones that we really would love to get on board, and yes. lo- we can talk about how, you, how lobbying and how it's really fun and easy, and you can all do it. And yeah. it, it actually has effects. Um, Carlos Menchaca from Sunset Park hasn't made a decision yet. Um, he is on the Small Business Committee so that's particularly important. That's where the bill is sitting. Robert Cornegie is the head of the Small Business Committee. Um, Van Bramer needs to support this. And as artists, I think we need to really focus on Van Bramer because he's the cultural affairs, the head of the cultural affairs committee, and he makes his name as someone who is the, arti- the f- artist friendly city council member. Um, and I, th- I think he also wants to be mayor honestly. Brad Lander is another one. Progressive. He also wants to be mayor. I think we're we're learning that the the higher their ambitions go, the less they're willing to take a stand on something controversial. So Melissa Mark Viverito is now speaker. When she was a mere city council member, she supported the bill. Now she's just not answering. So that's been interesting.
2: Yeah, and Brooklyn really needs to catch up. Manhattan right now has uh, all city council members except one are supporting the bill. So we need to get Brooklyn up to speed. And um, so, yeah, if anybody lives in Carlos Menchaca's area, mm-hmm. we, there is inform- you can see the bill. You could see who signed, it, who signed on to it. And I'm trying to think of what other neighborhoods. Oh, Reynoso. Oh, Reynoso, yeah. Antonio Reynoso,
1: Bushwick. Yes. Um, St- Stephen Levin in Williamsburg, uh, Greenpoint, somewhere. supports it. So, you know, that's the other thing. If your council member supports it, send them a message saying thank you so much. Because they need to be buttressed. Because if this bill does come to a vote, the ones who support it are gonna get a lot of pressure to drop out. So they need to be hearing from their constituents. And we have on this handout, there are some links there where you can easily go to the, uh, the link on the .gov website. It's all really such fun. And you can see who actually supports it. And you can see, you can also find, there's also a link to find out who your council member is if you don't know.
0: Any other people standing out to you as needing to be buttressed at this point reinforced by the community or we well, won't put you on the spot I just you know. I want to say
2: that we did meet with Carlos Menchaca a couple months ago, and we had a lot of we were we were pushing our friends whether they were artists who were who had studios there or people who lived there because if you if you are uh, living in the neighborhood then you're a constituent we had All of those people writing in, using form letters or writing in on their own, calling up, and he became aware of it. And that's how it happens. It's like he met with us finally, and that pressure really does work. I mean, it's they, you know, they're they're trying to do the right thing too. So Mm -hmm. it's good to stay on top of them. Mm
1: -hmm. I I think another one it would be great to get is Jumani Williams. I don't know if anyone lives it. I think he's. No, he's not Crown Heights. He's more like um, East New York, I think. He's a very progressive guy, but he hasn't signed on to it yet. I don't think, a lot of the ones who are sitting on the fence, I don't think it means that they're totally against it. I think some of them don't know about it, or they don't know that much about it, or they're You know, they very busy. Like I've found that a lot of them haven't read the bill. Like Menchak, it was in his committee. He didn't really know about the bill. So we're learning that we know more than these council members do sometimes about the legislation.
2: Yeah, and Cornangi is the head of the small business committee, and he also did not know much about the bill. And um, they they have other proposals which we can we can address. Mm-hmm. Some of them are tax abatements for landlords, which I totally think is just ridiculous. <laughs> and um, and also Jenny can talk about the Gale, Gale Brewer bill, which is another uh, sort of. They're their Band-Aid for sort of pushing us away. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a group called Save NYC, which um, has brought a lot of attention to the bill. And I, the, the head of the group was on, Brian Lehrer, and then as a result, um, a lot of people started to know about the bill, but then Gail Brewer was on a few days later and gave her a version of the bill which is really, really problematic. Mm -hmm. And um, Jenny, tell
1: them why. So Gail Brewer, who's been a very progressive um, figure in city politics for many years, unfortunately, she, she she put forward a much, much weaker version of the SBJSA, the bill that we're working on, which basically would only apply to storefronts, so it wouldn't help many artists. It wouldn't help any offices, it wouldn't help like upper story industrial businesses, only storefronts, and it would have mediation but no binding arbitration. So there's no teeth in it, none. And what it would give you, the only thing it would do for only a storefront is if your lease is up for renewal, they triple your rent, you can go to mediation and if you can't win the landlord's heart in mediation, you get to stay there for one year while you look for a new space at a 15% rent increase. What? it's just not going to help anybody. And it's certainly not going to help any artists unless you happen to have a storefront.
0: So 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 now's your time to move. (laughs) Um, This is obviously really important to us as a community. What are some of the challenges that you're facing in promoting the SPJSA to artists and mobilizing the arts community? Well, I would say
2: in general that artists can be very individualistic and have not had a lot of experience working collectively. So, one thing we need to do is uh, somehow show people why it's important to get involved. And you know, a lot of it's time. A lot of us have studio practice and two or three jobs on top of that, and then there's the you know the other stuff that one has to do in their lives. But I really think uh, for, for me, I started going to community board meetings and you know, I met, my councilman, because he just saw me and said hi, and that's how, how I got involved in it. And it was really, really great to see other people in the community and find out what their issues are. And you'll find that you have a lot in common with these people who you didn't know before. And it's, it's very important to talk to your neighbors, and uh, especially if you're new, to, new in a neighborhood and people see you as a gentrifier, talk to your neighbors and let them know that you have the same concerns. There are tenant groups in um, Crown Heights and, and um, Flatbush that have come together. Um, recent arrivals as well as longstanding tenants have gotten together. And fought by rallying you know and, and using social media to get to get a lot a lot of attention and they 've been very successful and they're they great models for all of us, I think, because they show us that we can all work together. so how to get artists to do more work i 'm not sure um, that would be something i 'd be interested in actually opening up to the group and trying to find out how we can get more people involved, because um, it's, you know, some some of the work is just, it's just, there are little things that need to be done frequently, and then there's tons of work, so it's really someone can just take a tiny bit of work and keep hammering away at it, and just, mm-hmm. as my friend Joe Kay says, lean into it, mm-hmm. and eventually, good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Something will happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think artists, but maybe this is true for a lot of people now. You know, the 60s were a long time ago. And I think people are pretty beaten down and don't really feel that collective action... They're hope, People feel hopeless, I think. And they feel like this it's just corporate America taking over. There's nothing we can do. And I understand that because I feel that way a lot too. On the other hand, I just don't think that's true. I still think that even this tiny little ASAP, we have actually helped... You, you can go talk to your council member. It's amazingly empowering. And you realize if there were 10 times as many people as we had, which isn't that many more, we could kind of be, make a real difference. Like if you really band together, you actually can have an impact because these council members, they want, once they start feeling pressure, that's when they do things. And it's amazing how little pressure it takes. Like we've had a tweet of the day which that group Save NYC has initiated and we've been jumping in on it. And we try to, if you, if you Twitter, we can hook you up with this. If you tweet, I'm new to the Twittering thing. Tweet, tweet if you tweet, so my declensions are wrong. <laughs> so like, but, but uh, every day there's a tweet of the day and you know, 50 people tweet Melissa Mark Viverito, pass the SBJSA, save artists and small businesses. They hate it, but they really, really notice it. And you know, like, who was it? There was one council member I was talking to She's like, oh yeah, yeah, we know about it. We've been hearing about it. Good. So just 50 people tweeting makes that, puts it on their radar. The other thing I'll say is that it's great. Activism keeps the despair and rage at bay. I swear to you it does. It makes you feel better. It makes you a happier, happier and healthier person. Because you're actually doing something with the horrible darkness. The feelings that are bubbling up in, in all of us. Or maybe that's just me but I don't think it is.
0: <laughs> so this is good for your health. Yes. <laughs> you should Spend get involved the right now for your health. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've mentioned a few strategies that, that you've worked with. I, I'd like to mention um, the the social media presence that you have for two people is really unbelievable.
2: Well, it's a
0: little more than two people, but <laughs> so there are other people helping. Yeah. That's good, because yeah. they're like, I don't think they ever sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and it comes and goes. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're more active. And then, you know, there's so many other groups, too, that we've been forming coalitions with, and that's mm-hmm. been really exciting, because we get to take part in things like rallies and, and um, so, you know, just supporting, like Jenny went to, Jenny and Dexter, who's part of A- ASAP as well, went to a uh, vigil for a tenant that was being evicted in Bushwick, mm-hmm. right? And um, there were a lot of other groups there as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, not, that was, I mean, I think ASAP, pulling back a little, our, our approach is, is, there are other groups who do things like collectively buy buildings for artists and stuff like that. Our approach is more policy and legislative and also really starting to think about how we as artists have been often used as a wedge to try to to get gentrification rolling in so many neighborhoods. And with that in mind, we are feeling like forming coalitions with small business, which we're doing, seeing the commonality there, and also with community tenants groups who are fighting gentrification. And there's a lot of stuff bubbling up around the city now, a lot. Crown Heights, Sunset Park, Bushwick, um, Corona Queens, out by me. There are these community groups that are fighting gentrification. In a neighborhood like Bushwick, where there's so much tension, and it's such an intense dynamic between the, to a large degree, white artists and the community, the Puerto Rican community, um, it's like a a clashy thing. So if someone's being evicted, and there are 10 artists saying, we're standing here supporting you, we don't want you to be evicted, it's very powerful. And I think that at ASAP, we're we're thinking that the more we do that kind of thing, the better, because we're really all in the same boat in a certain way
2: there's something I want to come back to um, we had a meeting with, we've had meetings with a lot of council members and one of the staffers told us that artists are not seen as a constituency and there's something we need to do to change that so show up for st- stuff you know, vote anytime you can and if you can go to a community board meeting it's really entertaining and you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot out of it
0: um, I love that and what what needs to happen next? I guess i 'm asking like who are who are the allies that you 'd like to mention at this point? Um, obviously, we want to stay in touch with you, and you 're always putting out information about what needs to happen but um, as we're thinking about it right now, who are the major allies that you'd like to bring attention to, and what are some of the steps that we could individually take or collectively ta- take that you'd like to to mention at this point, also? You mean allies like council member allies or any kind of allies? Any kind of allies. Oh, okay. You've already mentioned quite a few. I think right. like with the Save mm-hmm. NYC and um, and so yeah. forth, but. So so there's a group
2: that we're working with a little bit in Sunset Park called Uprose, and they've been around for almost 50 years, and uh, they're working on the zoning that um, is on the table for Sunset Park. There is It's, it's going to take about two years, but Industry City wants to rezone a part of the waterfronts and build a hotel there, and that will just really change the um, fabric of the neighborhood for the worse in my opinion. So it's gonna be an uphill battle, but they've asked us to work in coalition with them. Um, the other people we've been working with are um, before, before G, which is before it's gone, take it back. Um, they are also, some, some of the people are in, in uh, equality for Flatbush, uh, which is a tenant, tenant group.
1: Um, well, Queens, the yeah, believe. the Queen's Neighborhoods United, which is a, main, a very immigrant-based ha- um, group out in Corona, has been working against a bid, which is a what is that business improvement. business improvement district. district. And the politics they want to put a bid along the Roosevelt area, uh, Avenue corridor there. And basically, um, the dynamics of that are, are really terrible for small businesses, because they exact like a $900 fee per year, but it's mainly dominated by landlords, and what they do is they spruce up the neighborhood, and then they kick you out. So what's happening, I mean, it sounds nice, like everyone wants planters and better lighting and cleanliness, but why should that be, you know, to have nice, no one's against development if it means making things better for everybody, but if making things nicer means poor people have to leave, then that's a problem. So there's yeah. There is um, this group, Queen's Neighborhoods United. Um, we're trying to get them on board to support the SBJSA. A lot of these, I think a lot of community groups who are already fighting gentrification are our potential wonderful allies. And we've been really trying to reach out. It takes a while, though. You have to build the bridges and get to know them, and they have to trust you. And I think also the tenants' rights movement, which is very busy right now because the rent laws are up for renewal on June 15th, there's a lot of lobbying going on and it's been in the papers. So they're a little preoccupied right now, but I think making common cause with commercial rents and residential rents being part and parcel of the same thing is another thinking long-term. This is a long-term thing that we have to fight for the soul of the city. Another really interesting development is the, um, which Tamada reminded me of, is chambers of commerce, which tend not to be that progressive, The Sunnyside Queens Chamber of Commerce is kind of great, and they unanimously just voted last week to support the SBJSA. They were the first Chamber of Commerce to do that, and um, so kind of. And I went and met a lot of them, and it was fun because you meet all the neighborhood characters. And these are these are some pretty great people. But um, you know, we want to put on a forum with them in Queens. There's lots of forums. We need to get the word out more. I think we need to educate the art community more. I think arts organizations. You know, we've done some outreach, but we really could, it's so much work to, to, there's so many organizations and constituencies to reach out to that that's, we could really use help with that. If anyone's good at blabbing, you know, it's, it's fun. You just um, think, who should know about this and call them up and say, hi, can I meet with you? And a lot of times they're like, yeah, because everyone knows this is a really big problem. Um, So like we're uh, El Puente, which is a group in Williamsburg, we're going to be, Williamsburg, right? Not Bushwick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Williamsburg. They're, they're having like a small business crawl and we're going to maybe do something with them. We need to get them to know about the SBJSA. And I think arts organizations, it would be great if they could get on board with it. I know that a lot of them get kind of city funding, so it could be dicey for them to take a political stance. But I think reaching out to them is a really important thing. Another thing we have going is an open letter. And we're, if any of you guys know any well-known high-profile arts individuals or uh, organizations who you think might be willing to sign the open letter, we're particularly wanting to direct it to Van Bramer because he's so into the arts, saying, can you sign the SPJSA? We're desperate, we need help with our commercial leases, we're having to leave the city. You know, that's another project that could be worked on, and you can just do little piecemeal things, like if anyone knows Chuck Close, and it's like, oh, he'd sign this, let us know, because we already have Patty Smith signed on,
2: so, Yeah, and if you know good. If you know anyone in cultural affairs, we, we haven't really reached out to them yet. So, I know Tom Finkel-Pearl mm-hmm. um, was, was the head of Skowhegan for a while, so if anybody was there when he was there, reach out to him, mm-hmm. ask him to sign on, or at least tell him about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if any of you guys re- want to help, you don't have to get it involved up to your neck. If you, if you have one thing you can think of that you can help us with, email us via the website. We'll, we'll get back to you and just say, look, I think I can do this or I have this idea. Any little thing that you can do is, is really wonderful and really, really appreciated. If you can help make banners, if you're like, you know, I want to show up to events, I'm, not that, I'm, too, I'm a little shy, I don't want to do outreach, but if you have a rally, I'll go, you know, let us know. And anything you can do is very helpful.
0: what happens if it doesn't pass we're all gonna cry (laughs) I don't think about that I just think that we have to keep
2: standing for what we believe in I think that's really important yeah
1: well well another idea and I don't know Mm -hmm. the legality of it but someone else there's another group called take back NYC and one of the leaders of that group was like look if this doesn't pass we should look into getting a referendum I don't think that's very common in New York. You need a lot of signatures to get it onto the ballot, but you know, I really think the vast majority of New Yorkers would agree that commercial businesses, the empty storefronts and the loss of your neighborhood pharmacy and the loss of artists is something that I think is in the forefront of people's minds because they see it in their neighborhood every day. So I, th- I think we could get the signatures. It would be a big effort. You know, I think the other thing is I also think of this as a long term battle for the city, and personally, even if this does pass, I, I want to keep working for commercial rent control again. but you know that's a very, very uphill battle. but I think that there's a, it's, it's a long term thing. It might not pass right now, but maybe it would pass next year, you know
0: You um, just a few moments ago referenced business improvement districts and different ways of classifying or categorizing. An an area, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about industrial zoning, because I know that's an area of interest for you, and what that has to do with artists. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Well,
0: I can say that
2: this is not an area um, where I'm an expert, but there are a couple things I do know, is if you change the zoning and it becomes... Um, mixed use, then it's going going to skew towards residential, which means that that uh, rents will go up and people won't have places to work. That's basically the very watered down version of what I know. Um,
1: well, actually, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys stopped by the um, literature table, but there's an incredibly interesting um, printout of a city council report about zoning issues in New York City. And um, I'm sure you guys have noticed that in a lot of areas that are actually industrially zoned, you're allowed to put in restaurants, uh, nightclubs, hotels, and those kinds of commercial... It's a very loose rule. And those kinds of commercial establishments cause an upward pressure on the rents that a machine shop, an artist, a stone yard cannot afford to pay. As well, a very important thing is that manufacturing jobs on average pay literally twice as much. They pay on average $50,000 a year and do not necessarily require a high level of education. So it's a wonderful, these are good jobs. Commercial jobs tend to pay literally $25,000. So you're letting these, like in Long Island City where my studio is, these. Goddamn hotels are like sprouting up like toxic mushrooms. And interesting, another thing I learned from this report, which I really found surprising, is that in the last seven or eight years, believe it or not, there's actually been a resurgence in manufacturing, not a huge one, but a steady resurgence in New York City, where there are manufacturers who do need to be here, who are trying to find places to open their factory or their small business, and they can't find rent they can afford. They want to employ New Yorkers, but the upward pressure on these manufacturing zones is a real disaster for commercial rents. And that's what's one of the things that's causing the rent to skyrocket. And, and so th- I think there's, I don't, I'm don't i still learning about it, but there's a little bit of a battle forming now in the city where the EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, which I think is the New York City kind of uh, development people um, are proposing, and a, uh, some of those guys are holdovers from the Bloomberg era. One of them is fortunately about to quit. But they're recommending really starting to chip away at the industri- industrial zones. And I think there's a little battle forming because the city council is a little more progressive and they're pushing back against it. So we might start hearing more about this, but they're trying to tighten up the zoning regulations. So maybe you can't put 20 hotels. Maybe you have part of the zoning where you just can't put any hotels. I think there's one, in- one industrial zoning category, which is a very small one where you really can't put a hotel. But in most of the industrially zoned areas, you can. And um, so anyway, I think we might start hearing more about this as an issue. And obviously, for artists, um, probably most of us have our spaces in industrially zoned areas, I think. That's anecdotal, but I have a feeling that that's probably true. So preserving those zones is very crucial for us because the rents tend to be lower, where it's more industrially zoned. We also have to stop complaining about noise and smell. (laughs) I mean, you know, not like total dioxin toxins, but I I have gotten to the point where like, if there's a lot of noise or something that's a little bad, I'm like, don't say anything, Jenny, don't say anything. Because it's precious to keep these working zones in the city.
0: There was recently publicity too about a hotel going into Sunset Park, right? And that was part of the, the turnover there yeah um, I'm not sure if you have anything more that you'd like to bring up about that, but are there if not, are there other issues um, that you're concerned about that, that you'd like us to be aware of? And if not, I'd like to open it up yeah, for comments yeah, from the audience ball. if that's okay. Yeah. Um, if it's all right with everyone here, I'll moderate that only because I'll repeat the question roughly into the microphone and it will be captured for the recording, which will be made available via a podcast. Uh, So it'll be useful for people who are trying to follow the conversation. So any questions for, we've had a lot of information, a lot to take in, yeah.
2: We currently have a petition. Oh, I'm sorry, well, you, you want no, you go, you go ahead, you
0: go ahead. Just summarize it, go ahead.
2: Okay, so we've been asked um, if we have a petition going, and we actually do. Um, there is on this flyer here, the one with the big bold <laughs> lettering, um, it's the second thing that you can do, and there is a, a link for that. So every time you sign the petition online, every single council member and the mayor gets an email. And right now, there are over 3,000 signees, so they've all gotten over 3,000 emails about this bill. And
0: there is something that Padre Soñalón not only happens in New York, but also in Berlin and other cities, is a residency in New York, mm-hmm. oh. I'll, I'll attempt to summarize that, that was, there was a lot of information there, this, this, um, this individual is asking um, about something that he's noticed in big cities where it's, it's almost like a predatory practice by artists on artists where residencies are charging exorbitant fees monthly for participation in a residency program in Berlin or New York, um, and he's asking if you believe it should be regulated in some way.
1: I mean, we haven't really looked at that. I have to say, I haven't really, I didn't really know much about that. I mean, I, I really can't speak to it because I, I, this is the first time hearing of it. Honestly, I mean, should it be regulated? I mean, if it really is, I guess, I, I guess, I think so. But I'd have to kind of learn more about it. That's my honest answer.
2: It's it's not what we're working on, but I think it should be regulated or looked at at least. Mm-hmm.
0: I know that you mentioned that uh, through, I guess, through the, the decades that artists have been living in, in, in certain artist communities, such as you mentioned SoHo, and then uh, and so on and so forth. Has there ever been a situation where artists uh, have, I mean, no, I, I kind of see that artists will all live in one building and work together and everything, but has there ever been any, like, a movement where artists would actually pool their resources together, meaning their dollars together to be able to make a deal with the landlord and say, look, we've been here for, I don't know, 10, 20 years, and we're looking to actually you know, rent our own, for example. And there has been something like that, of a, a, a movement, where you have had a bunch of artists that are collectively working together to own a building, and each have like a piece of the financial pie, like a, like a cooperative that each artist would actually own mm-hmm. a part of that property or whatever. Okay, this question is asking, um, based on the communities that we know have formed in the city in areas like Soho and so forth historically, um, are you aware of any communities where artists have intentionally pooled their resources, um, worked together, and approach the landlord to say that they want to rent to own and and form basically an intentional artist community? Um,
1: There's one being formed right now. It's not what ASAP works on. We more work on legislation and policy, but there is a group that's, it's going to be interesting to see how they do, and I'm blanking on what they're, it's something real estate cooperative. Oh, okay. it's, yes, you, it's Carolyn Willard's group. Do, need, do any of you guys know of Carolyn Willard? She, she, it, she's just started this, and if you're interested, come up to me afterward and I can try to find the link for you on my iPhone. But um, she, has, she is an activist, an artist activist, and she is trying to form a real estate cooperative where a lot, a lot, a lot of people pool money Some a lot of money and some a little bit of money. I'm not exactly sure how it really works. And then they try to buy a building and keep it perpetually affordable. It's a wonderful idea. Oh, the Cooper Square Committee. It has happened, but that's not specifically artists. That was a group of neighborhood people on the Lower East Side who, or maybe it's actually the East Village, who spent years, years pooling their resources and they bought quite a bit of real estate and they kept it... Perpetually affordable for community people—it's housing. Um, the, the the big hurdle for that in New York City is the price of real estate. I mean, I think it's a wonderful idea, but I just don't see how. It's not the '70s where we have tons of empty, burned-out shells, and the city's like, "Please take this building. I'll give it to you for ten dollars. Just develop it." That's not where we are. I mean, you can't get a one-story building for less than. Eight hundred thousand dollars. You know what I mean? It's like a, might be a little bit too much of a hurdle, but if anyone is interested, I can try to give you the link to Carolyn's group. I'm just blanking on the on the acronym for it right now. It's Jen, is that Art Condo? Uh, it's, it's not Art Condo. It's They're a new. They, I think they are similar. Yeah, it's called the real estate uh, cooperative. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, they they don't have a venue they don't have a place yet. They're just forming themselves. And they've had some pretty big meetings. So can can you say the, the can you say the acronym again? The New York City Real Estate Investment Cooperative. Right. Can you repeat that in the microphone? Yes, it's called the re, uh, say the, word. the New York the, the re- City Real Estate Investment The re, the New York City Real Estate Investment Cooperative.
0: I think also there's been a number of groups um, that have been active in recognizing that artists need asset accrual in order to stabilize themselves, like art home comes to mind, um, assets for artists. Uh, So there's a number of groups that say, like we won't be able to change these circumstances unless A, we're compensated, and B, we're able to accrue assets and and, um, have this this pool that <laughs> many other people take for granted, I think, is a benefit of working and, and so forth, but for, for whatever reason, compensation for us is very far behind. Yeah. Um, I was I, gonna I say the yeah, no, land me. trust issue. Yes, but. yes.
1: Right, the land trust is, I think, they wanted to do, create, the real estate cooperative wants to make whatever building they buy into a land trust, which is a kind of status that you could put a building in, which kind of keeps it off in perpetuity Doesn't let anyone ever sell it at market rate. It has to stay affordable. So, I I also want to say one more thing. I'll be very quick because I want you guys to talk more, and I'm blabbing. But um, I also think artists face like a perfect storm because our rents are a nightmare. We have to carry two rents usually, home and workspace. But there's an adjunct in crisis too. A lot of us teach, and that's a disaster for artists. So many of us are don't have health insurance. We're struggling to make, you know. $30,000, you know, it's just a terrible situation. And I think that there's also a crisis in the art world. I think that the the gallery scene is very 1%, 99%. It's very difficult to sell work. It's very difficult to get a gallery. It's, I think artists are squeezed and um, the average income of working artists in the city is $44,000. That's very low for for living in New York where you have to pay two rents, very, very low. And you you probably don't want to work full time either because how are you gonna have time to make your work? So we're really
0: squeezed, you know. This comment is related to the educational structures here in the city. Um, Have you reached out to the schools, whether it be the adjuncts that work there or the students that are there and hoping to establish creative practice here to build your coalition? So yes, this is something that we've talked about many, many
2: times, and it's on our list of things to do. Um, We have a few friends who teach that we've reached out to to ask for help in this area, and um, so far we haven't gotten that far, so if you're willing to help out in that area, we would love, love, love to have you on board, so. Yeah, because the young people have not come, stepped up, but I think that they would care about it, just a matter of, figuring out how to get this information to them.
1: Um, Commercial rent regulation. The question was, is there any other um, example of commercial rent, actual commercial rent control? Well, this is legislation. This this was actual legislation that affected the entire city of New York from 1945 to 63. It's very rare. And it was actual commercial rent control. There is something in Berkeley, of course, Um, but it's it's a very small part of Berkeley. I don't remember exactly. I think it was actually beaten down in the courts because they didn't have as many safeguards for the landlords. So it was beaten down in the courts. But there was a small area of Berkeley that had commercial rent regulation for a while, and it's gone now.
2: One of the questions was, could eminent domain be used? Um, And the first question was, oh, uh, around Metrics. metrics. Yeah, about the value. E- e- economic um, value of artists in New York City. Um, this area in general. Oh, okay, the first one. I think that there have there have been studies by is it Creative Capital, mm-hmm. um, and the second question was about eminent domain. We're not in the in the buying buildings or in acquiring buildings so we've really tried to focus on this one area there are a lot of art groups there are a few art groups that are working towards solutions but we really wanted to work on policy because we feel like that affects the most amount of like if it could benefit the most um the most amount of people
1: um, the question was, how can we bring um, museums and galleries on board? With, because they have a vested interest, one would assume, in keeping artists in the city. Um, again, because we, of our limited person power, we haven't. As we've really focused on reaching out to community groups and some kind of more activist arts organizations, um, we've done a tiny bit of outreach to galleries, just a few, and some of them are on board. We need to do more. I, I think that with institutions. I would love to try to do more outreach. My gut feeling is that's going to be a heavy lift because they're going to stay far away from any controversial politics. And they might actually really not be allowed to. I don't know much about the legality of it. But I do think it's worth trying. I think it's really important. And actually, galleries, small galleries, really face the same problem we do. I mean, their rents are astronomical. And a lot of them have folded. So I think that's probably a natural ally. So if you want to help us, come on and Lend us your expertise.
2: Um, the question was, do we know of any buildings that are modeled after West Beth? Again, I can just say that that's not something that we've been looking at because we're trying to figure out how to deal with the current situation and um, how to go forward in terms of getting the most amount of people fair rents.
1: But but I will say that, um, I, first of all, West Bath is in big trouble, unfortunately, because um, the rents are going up there, and there's been a lot of issues going on there, unfortunately, but I think there are fewer and fewer of those buildings because it has to be paid for somehow. Where does the subsidy come from? There's, there's not, this is a speculative bubble we're living in. These buildings are worth so much money that, you know, who's going to do that? A foundation? I mean, there are a few foundations, but it's going to be few and far between. I don't think that's our answer. And I'll say one more really interesting thing, which I'm glad you brought this up. Um, Mayor de Blasio has his cultural initiative, which provides 1,500, 1500 not 15,000 affordable spaces over 10 years for artists. It's, it's almost insulting. Um, the El Barrio space, which I think was 149 and thereabouts, affordable live-work live work spaces for artists in East Harlem. 55,000 people applied. So the scale of the problem is so enormous that you would have to make so many subsidized buildings. Yeah. It's a, it's a, but I agree, it's a huge problem, and, and, it's, and it's a matter of priorities. And I think one thing I want to say in response to your question, which is, I wish someone would do a metric study about the economic benefits that artists bring, but I also think that's not the only way to think of it, because it's not all money. (laughs) We have to think about what kind of city do we want? I mean, people should be able, making art is a wonderful, valuable thing. Sometimes it is commodified, and I think that the arts does actually bring money to the city. I'm sure that it does. And I, I'm sure that there are metrics, metrical studies that could be done. But I think another argument for it is just that we need it. We love it. It's valuable. It's wonderful. It's interesting. And, you know, why does everything have to have... I'm not saying you're saying this. But, you know, I don't think everything has to have a dollar sign on it.
2: And in that way, too, we we decided as a group that we weren't going to make ourselves special. And, not, you know, we're, we are people who run small businesses along with mom and pops and industrial businesses, woodworkers, and all the other things that we mentioned earlier. And that is to say that we all want fair rents. It's not to separate ourselves to say that we're special. And um, we have not really, I have not really focused on the economic uh, value of, of artists for that reason. I'm just thinking of myself as a, as a citizen, and how can more citizens stay here and, and live a decent life, really? Mm-hmm. The, the question is
1: about, is there a timeline for the SBGSA, the bill that's in the city council? The answer is no, and this is something that we've learned about in the last year, how a bill passes through city council. It's just been sitting, it's, it's in stasis right now, and it could sit there for a long time. So what, what will trigger it coming to the floor is A, people of New York City getting at least 26 council members to sign on as sponsors. At this point, we have 19. We have more lobbying to do and more pressure. And I think we have to build a movement around it. We have to raise the issue of commercial rents and how it's important for mom and pops and it's important for communities and it's important for artists. Once we have those 26, someone has to bring it to the floor. Um, I actually don't know exactly how that works, but I think it's all about pressuring these people. There is no timeline. So it can lag on for a really long time. You know, as the trigger is getting the 20, at least 26 votes, and then it could come to the floor. Then what they usually have is a hearing, and that's where people can go testify, and it's really quite an interesting experience to do that. I went to the land use hearing um, at City Hall a few weeks ago, which had to do with the industrial zoning stuff, and that was amazing to hear people testifying and people get up there and make these amazing statements, and it's all... You know, they listen. They listen to you. So I think... What would, if we were to get the, number, the 26 votes and they, they would hold a hearing, and then we would call all artists to come testify <laughs> about your story or, or anything. I mean, that, that would be the next step, but there is no timeline on it. Yeah, there's
2: no deadline. I want to make it very specific for you, <laughs> since you want to do it from your computer. Well, um, <laughs> but we want you. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say get, get on there and see who hasn't signed on yet, and try to figure out how to get to those, how to get to people. I mean, what you start learning is like, oh, this person's not going to do it because of this or that, but when you start, the, the more you inform yourself of where, where we've gotten so far, then you can sort of see what steps to take next and i would say trying to get other people involved would be another thing that you can do um i'm, I'm trying to get more specific yeah. if you well there's also down. do
1: you tweet
2: I don't. okay well there
1: there's is the a <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, there's the tweet of the day, which you can do from the comfort of your own computer. There's emailing. You can email your council members. You know, If you have the courage, you can call them. I mean, they're not going to answer the phone, but you can speak to their aide and say, look, I just, I'm i an artist, and I'm in your neighborhood, and I, really, I want to know why. I want to congratulate you for supporting the SBJSA or ask why you're not, depending on the council member. And I think there's also, you can sign the petition. Um, and if you really want to help out behind the scenes, email us via the website and say, look, what can I do? We'll come up with something.
2: And, and then there's something really simple that everyone can do, is on our Facebook page, we have two. We have one that is just artist studio, studio affordability project, and then we have an ASAP activist group, and that is for people who want to be active, so you can join if you want. And. You, it could be just as simple as going on there and liking stuff and commenting on it. Because anytime you do that, that brings m- more visibility to the issue. Mm-hmm. And as you go on there, you'll see that we're, we're always posting the tweet of the day, but we're also posting other issues that are connected. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a good way of finding out what's going on. And also, just if you don't want to necessarily you know, go out there and speak, go, out, go out, when you, if you see that there's an event going on that's related to this, Stand in the back and, and see what's going on and just take these little steps because you'll, you'll really f- figure out what you, how you want to approach it, what's important to you.
1: You can also just talk to your friends about it. Start saying, you know, it, if you're at an opening and instead of talking about art, everyone's talking about their studio rent, which is what happens all the time. Say, hey, did, you know, have you heard about the SBJSA? This is a bill that could actually help artists. We need to start knowing about this as a community.
2: Yeah, um there are a group of people we know that actually do that. They like they'll take flyers, sometimes stuff that we even have on our site and just print it out and put it under doors. And I mean, I think this this form here is about specifically for artists, but there may be something that is just about uh, Yeah.
0: Mhm. That's a good yeah, idea. I'd like idea for literature that's mm-hmm. not that a great site,
1: idea but, actually.
0: You know for for businesses that aren't necessarily tech savvy that can just like, yeah. you can
2: even yeah, put
0: teachers mailboxes at a university
2: yeah. that kind. Of no, great we'd idea. be willing to make one yeah. and have it on our site mm-hmm. and yeah. if people can, go, can go down go, down, go on the room room there and just actually distribute them that would be fantastic. Yeah.
1: It's so really I wonderful idea. Because I, I work at our high school, and I, have, I have access to 25 art teachers. And hmm. I can just put a flyer like that. And yeah. 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 That's that's yeah. Awesome. yeah. Thank you. That's very good. Another way we could
2: start thinking about it, too, is when you're uh, going to the local diner or you're getting your shoes repaired. You know, these places have to charge more and
1: more and more and more for their services. A cup
0: of coffee, mm-hmm.
1: and if they knew about this, I'm, you know, the rent is really the issue for all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. There um This group, Take, Take Back NYC, actually does have, maybe we can borrow their thing and put it on our website. I'm sure Ahmed would let us do it. But they, they have a wonderful little packet with, um, which they are asking people to distribute to small businesses, just to your local mom and pop, and you could do it with artists too, which has. Uh, petitions people can sign on paper and then you can the business can photograph it and send it to Ahmed and he'll sit there and enter it in which sounds like a nightmare but there might have to be a better way but there is also a generic flyer that he has so I think that walking around and telling if you have the energy when you go buy your groceries if you know that the people who own it and you chit chat with them you're like hey do you know about this and there's also these big orange and black save NYC signs have you guys seen those around the city there, that's the group Save NYC, but that is, has become associated with the SBJSA, and a lot of shops are starting to put them in their windows. Artists could do that, too, although no one will see our windows, probably. But, um, you know, I think going if you have the energy to talk to your local merchants about this bill and hand them something, um, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we're, we'll get something on our website soon that can be downloaded and printed. Mm-hmm. There's a bill called the Erstat Law, which is a New York State-only law, which says that basically New York City cannot decide its own rent control for apartments. It's incredible. So that's why there's all this focus on Albany. On June 15th, Albany gets to vote on our residential rent control. And Albany is dominated by Republicans and the quasi, Quasimodo, Cuomo. So, and these upstate Republicans get huge contributions from revenue. Huge, even though it's not even their constituency. So getting anything through Albany now is kind of a near impossibility. But for the future, I think it's worth looking at, and, what, and I don't exactly know the answer about whether Erstat talks about, Erstat talks about residential rent control. Albany has control over it. I've heard varying things about whether it actually even mentions commercial rent control, whether it's umbrellaed in or whether it's not. What I have to do, it's on my bucket list, I guess, is find a copy of the erstat law and read it. <laughs> yes! Um, so, you know, that's something to, to look into doing. Um, so. Second question. Just to be clear, the SBJSA is a city bill. That's not Albany. It's, Albany does not have anything to do with that. It's not rent control. But if we did want to push for commercial actual rent control where limits are set, we'd have to look into whether Albany has control over that.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with tonight? Um, Thank you so much don't for Don't be coming. depressed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, seriously, like we can fight this because it's our home and we deserve to stay here and continue working as artists here. And also, seriously, if, you can, if there's anything, even if, if, the, if you have an idea for us, like there's been some great ideas, totally email us through the website. We, we always get back to you and um, we'll probably make you do them. Um, but if you want to get involved and don't know what to do, email us too and say, "Look, I want to help out," and we'll we'll call you and find out what you like and what you're good at. And we really could use more help. And I think we need artists have got to start putting a little time into fighting back. I think that's the sad truth of the matter.
0: Yeah. Do you have any <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you guys.